Uh, beginning in September, we're going to start having many of our Abundant Life groups. We'll get information out to each of you on that. Those are small groups that you can join in and uh, study the Bible, get to know one another, and just be blessed. So we have several Abundant Life groups that will be starting up this fall. Um, this month, the week of August 21st through the 28th, you have a flyer in your bulletin. I just want to call attention to it. Uh, Humble yourselves is what we're calling it, a week of fasting and prayer. And I've, I've listed several scriptures here for your study uh, on the topic of prayer and fasting for you to go through. But what we're going to do as a congregation, uh, it's not unlike the prayer vigil that we do at Easter. This is going to be a week where uh, we're going to ask you to focus somewhat on prayer and fasting. And by fasting, you can fast a single meal during the entire week. You can fast a single day. You can fast a meal a day, uh, whatever. Or if you cannot fast from food, then consider fasting from an activity that might be typically pleasurable to you, but it's something that you are going to forego in the interest of focusing on prayer. And we're going to commit this week to doing that. And then on Sunday, the 28th, after service, we're going to have, once again, like we did last year, a prayer walk for our schools before school starts. We're going to begin that over at Lake School at 11 a.m. after services. So just want to draw your attention to that. And then also, we're going to have some Sunday school stuff starting up, Sunday school for adults. And I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but Angie Dalek and I have been communicating about a class that she is going to teach on wellness. Uh, many of you know that Angie does a class at the college uh, on wellness, and we're going to take that and somewhat expand it. We're still on, on par for that? Okay, good. That's going to be an amazing class. And then also, I'm going to be starting up uh, this fall uh, a school of discipleship for anybody who is interested in really becoming an active, engaged disciple of Jesus Christ. It'll be taking what we're talking about on Sunday mornings and putting it into action. Because really, that's what discipleship is all about. You learn, but then you apply. And that's what the, the School of Discipleship is going to be. So I'll get more information out on that. But we're going to have a whole bunch of things going on coming into the fall. So exciting stuff. Glorifying God through love. That's what we're talking about here this morning. We talked last week about the why of glorifying God through love. Why is it important for us to love one another? And it's very important. And there were several reasons that I gave to you, but probably the preeminent reason that it is important for us to love God and our fellow man is because Jesus commanded it. He said in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus commands us to love. All of the commandments from the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, the 613 other commandments associated with those, all of those commandments are summed up in the single four-letter word, love. Because Paul said to the Romans, he said, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you love, 
then you have kept the law of God because God is love. So how do we love? Well, first let's take a look at what love is. And of course, the best description of love given in the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'll read it to you beginning in verse 4. Paul describes what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So that description that I just read to you out of 1 Corinthians 13 describes what the commandment of Jesus Christ given to us to love one another looks like. And just for emphasis, I want to read this again because this is heady stuff. This is meaty stuff. I mean, it's easy for me to read, and a lot of people have this section of Scripture on little plaques in their house. It's well known to both believer and non-believer alike. But the carrying out of this far different thing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So that's what Jesus is commanding us to do. And when we carry that out, we glorify God the Father because God is love. So when we love, we are representing his character, both within the church, but also to the world outside. What love really looks like, what love really is. It's easy to love those who are lovable. Our spouses, our children, our family. Well, let me step away from that. Maybe sometimes it's not so easy. Love in its purest form, is really practiced in the most difficult of circumstances. Love is not easy. Nor is it intended to be. When Jesus gave this as a command, he understood the gravity, the difficult aspect of love. And yet, he commanded us to love one another. He says that by love, people will know that we are his disciples. So our relationship with Jesus Christ is very much distinguished by our ability to love. To make our lives look like that passage that I just read to you out of 1 Corinthians. 
Now, Jesus also said there in verse 34 of John 13 that we are to love as he has loved us. So he is our example. Jesus has given us the pathway to follow, if you will, for how love is to look. So how did Jesus love us? In what fashion did Jesus demonstrate love to his disciples and to the world? Well, there are four words that I want to give to you that I think characterize the love of Jesus Christ and the love, in turn, that you and I should be practicing with one another in order to fulfill his command. The first way Jesus loved us was sacrificially. It says in John chapter 15, verse 13, Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friend. So Jesus describes the greatest demonstration of love as being a sacrificial love, a love that lay, literally lays down its life in the benefit of others. And as we look at Jesus, we look at what he did for us on the cross, we see that he carried that out in a very, uh, very visual way. Hanging upon a cross, suffering for our sin, laying down his life. But it doesn't end there. Listen to this. This is in 1 John chapter 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Yeah, we all get that. We know that, right? That's the gospel. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's what love is. But John does not stop there. He says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So again, it's the call to replicate, to repeat what Jesus has demonstrated for us. As his disciples, those following after him, committing our lives to living how he lived, we are to sacrificially offer ourselves for our brothers and sisters. John says, if anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words and speech only, but with actions and in truth. So, sacrificially, we are to love one another. We are to take of our substance, in this illustration that John gives, and provide for others who are in need. But really, what is sacrifice? Sacrifice is taking something that is a part of us. Maybe our lives, maybe our possessions, maybe our time, and laying it down and giving it in the service or for the benefit of someone else. It's something that we can use. Our lives, our possessions, our uh, finances, our time. We can use all of those things, but we willingly lay those things down in the benefit of someone else sacrificially. That's what John says that we are to do for one another. When people come into the church, that's what they truly should experience. Imagine, imagine a church that you walk into where everybody literally is willing to lay their lives down for one another. 
transformative church experience there. So we're to sacrificially love one another. We are to give of our substance to one another in support of one another, even sometimes when it hurts. You know, King David wanted to make an offering to the Lord. And he went to the threshing floor of Ornan. And he was going to, to buy it from him. And Ornan said, no, no, you're the king. You're the king. I'll give it to you. You can just take this and I'll let you make your offering from it. And King David said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Likewise, when we love, we can not love in truth and indeed, when it costs us nothing, love is not easy, nor is love cheap. So we love sacrificially when we love as Jesus loved us. We love selflessly when we love as Jesus loved us. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul is talking about the experience within the church that Believers should share with one another. And again, it's, it's replicating what, what Jesus did for us. Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, So Paul says, if you're really truly believers, if you've really come together and have this unity with Christ, complete my joy, Paul says, and have the same mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So that, that uh, servanthood that Christ demonstrated to his disciples when he kneeled down and he disrobed and he washed their feet. His willingness to meet their needs above his own, even though he was their Lord and Master, and, and truly they should have been washing his feet, he was willing to bow down and to kneel before them and to wash their feet. Paul says, have that same kind of mind, that same kind of selflessness, that same kind of servanthood with one another. Value others above yourselves. In other words, it's not, as Jenny said this morning, all about me. We ought to, as we come together, look to the needs of one another. How can I be a servant to you? How can I meet your needs? How can I be a blessing to someone else? Rather than coming into the the congregation expecting others to meet my needs, to serve me. Now that's not to say that sometimes I don't come in with needs. That sometimes I don't want people praying for me or helping me with something. Of course, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the attitude. That's what Paul calls this. An attitude of humility, of servanthood, where we're willing to be selfless and to love one another by prioritizing them. Again, the the atmosphere that is created when people do this is extraordinary. When you come into a place where there is true servanthood being demonstrated, practiced, exhibited, 
It is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. None of us likes to be around people who are selfish, who are self-centered, who are constantly trying to draw attention to and focus upon themselves. Paul says we ought not to do that. And he says the example comes from Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Jesus Christ himself had, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. So even though Jesus came to this earth as God, he was God in the flesh. He did not use his deity to his advantage, though he certainly could have. But rather, he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he humbled himself, he became a man, took on the role of a servant, was obedient unto death. What happened then as a result? Listen to this. Therefore, God exalted him to the very highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. So just as we enter into the week in a couple of weeks, the 21st through the 28th, of humbling ourselves, I, I want to say to you that there's a real point in doing this. God has given us the, the demonstration through Jesus Christ of the principle that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, He will at the proper time exalt us. Or lift us up. So what is your need? What is driving your concern? Do you have financial challenges? Do you have a physical malady? Are you in relationship discord with people? The very best way to get those needs met is to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Take on the role of a servant. Love other people selflessly. And at the proper time, in God's perfect timing, He will lift you up. He will exalt you. He will meet your need. He will address those things that concern you. It seems opposite to what our our natural inclination would tell us. I have a need. I want everybody to know about it. I want others to meet my need. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are to empty ourselves. We are to serve others. We are to place them in priority above above ourselves. And when we do that, at the proper time, God will lift us up. So we love sacrificially. We love selflessly. That's how Jesus loved. Third, And this is a tough one. We love without condition. Love unconditionally. Now, most of us practice love based upon conditions. If you are nice to me, if you do the things that I agree with, if you please me, then I can love you. Some variation of that formula. But that's essentially how most of us love. We love those who we like to be around, who please us, who do the things that we agree with. They're easy to love. We set conditions upon the expression of our love. 
But that's not how God loves. God loved us unconditionally. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that while we were yet dead in our sin and our trespasses, literally, the, the word there describes a corpse. While we were corpses, because of our sin and our trespasses, God demonstrated his love in giving us new life in Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 5, Paul says, you see, at the right time, just when we were totally powerless, dead in our sin and trespasses, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Paul's pointing out what I just said, that when there is someone who's good, someone that we like, we might actually consider laying down our lives for that person. But God demonstrates his love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, alien from him, his enemies, the Bible says, at war with him, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God demonstrated his love toward us, unconditionally. Before we had done anything that would have merited any kind of favor or love, God demonstrated his love towards us by dying for us. So we love unconditionally. Now that, again, as I said earlier, is hard to do. It's very hard to do. We are called, church, to love our enemies. We are called to love those who are at war with us. Listen to what Jesus said. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing the same? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we are called to a higher plane of love, to an unconditional love, to a love that actually not only is unconditional, but is actively engaging those who are opposed to us, who hate us, who persecute us. Now stop and think for just a moment, if you will, about someone who is your enemy, someone who's persecuting you, someone who when they walk into the room, it's just like the proverbial fingernails on a chalkboard. For those of you who are under 30, you probably don't even know what a chalkboard is. But um, You all probably can imagine that there's a person, perhaps persons, in your lives like that who are actually somewhat of an enemy to you, perhaps even actively opposing you, trying to cause harm to you through persecution. Jesus says that we are to love them. What is love? Well, love is patient. Love is kind. All the things we read about. It does not consider revenge. Love extends itself beyond limits. Love always succeeds. It never fails. 
So who is that person in your life? Identify them this morning as I speak to you. And I want to challenge you to put the words of Jesus into practice and find a way. Let the Spirit lead you into loving them. The same way God loved you. Now, because, you know, (laughs) most of us think we're really lovable. We just can't imagine anybody not loving us. But the reality is, is some of us, perhaps most of us, aren't all that lovable. We have our moments, don't we? You know what? You actually might be the enemy to someone else. You ever thought about that? When you walk into the room, they're going... (laughs) We never think that way, but it's true. It's true. So we need to love other people, especially, I think, the call is to love those who are our enemies, who persecute us, who are the difficult ones to love. Because more so than perhaps any other expression of God's presence in our lives, that kind of love demonstrates our reliance upon him. We must depend upon him to do that. So we love unconditionally if we love as Jesus loved us. And really, and this is the final word, if we're loving our enemies, we have to apply this one. We love with hope. We love with hope. That is to say that when we love someone, particularly when we love someone who is our enemy, We have hope that we are investing in them. We see beyond the moment, beyond the behavior, beyond whatever challenge exists, and we see to what might be, what could be, what God intends to be. Listen to this. It's in Romans chapter 8. This is what God did when he demonstrated his love for us. It says that the whole creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but because of the will of the one who subjected it, that is God. In other words, God allowed sin to enter into creation, and as a result, creation to be impacted by sin. But he subjected it in hope that the creation itself will one day be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that is to say the church, those of us who have been born again, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We all groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We know what lies ahead. We walk in these bodies of flesh, and we struggle with sin still today. I've been a Christian for 34 years, and I still struggle with sin. I was talking to Christy just this week on our vacation about this. I said, I I ought to be a better man by now. 
I ought to be able to walk in the Spirit. I ought to be able to be a man of prayer and of the, and of the Word, and yet I still struggle so much with sin. And so do you. Because we're hoping for the redemption of our bodies. And it's in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? And that's what what I am doing. I'm hoping for that day when my body is redeemed, when I am a new creation in Christ in a very literal sense. This flesh puts on immortality. This corruption puts on incorruption. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I'm hoping for. And that's what God subjected the creation to frustration for. Because there is a hope that there will be a transformation. There will be something beyond. We believe for the best in other people. So we love through hope. We love understanding that there is something that that person is not today, but can be tomorrow. If we will but express to them the love of Christ. So hope is so important, so important in expressing love because sometimes, like I said, love is hard. And if we have that hope that sees beyond the moment, sees beyond the frustration, sees beyond the anger, we are able then to view other people as God views them. with possibility, with potential, and perhaps they will be able to look at us and see us the same way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your challenge to love one another sacrificially, selflessly, unconditionally, and in hope that there is a new and a better us around the corner. Lord, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit and the sanctification of your word that helps us to accomplish this. Lord, I pray for this congregation of saints that love truly would be planted in our hearts and that we would come together each Sunday and each and every day of our lives with the remembrance of your command, Jesus, to love one another, even as you loved us. In your name we pray. Amen.